Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. What a great, great day it is to be in church, and I'm so thankful that you're here with us. And uh, we've been walking through this road to resurrection, and we saw Lazarus raised from uh, the dead. We saw the triumphal entry of Jesus. We have looked through many different aspects of John's gospel, where he tells the story of Jesus's final days. And so this road to resurrection. And uh, I want to just pit stop with you where we were on Friday, because on Friday, it was Good Friday, of course. And on Good Friday, we looked at some very specific elements of the, the, the journey of Jesus. We looked at the arrest We looked at the trial, we looked at his death and his burial, but today, come on church, today is Resurrection Sunday and we celebrate that he's alive by the power of God, amen? And so today is the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And so we celebrate the resurrection power of God displayed in Jesus. And some might say, well, what's the big deal? What's the point? Why are Christians making such a huge deal about today? And I want to just help you by giving you the big picture. And John, which is the writer that we've been following through this journey, John gives us such a beautiful verse in the early chapters of his writing in his gospel. And it's a verse that's familiar to many. And it simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you see, the truth here is that Jesus' resurrection proves, it proves that Jesus defeated death. And so now, what does that mean for you and for me? Eternal life is offered to us. Can I just say you're not getting this news anywhere else? It's only here today, friends. It's only around the cross of Jesus. It's only around his empty tomb and his resurrection that we can say, even if I die, I will live because Christ lives. Amen? It's incredible news. It's the joy of this day. So I want to kind of reflect on this beautiful verse with you for just a moment. It's not really my text. It's kind of like my pretext, okay? We'll get to the rest of the story in just a minute. But I want you to see in this verse, it says, for God so loved the world. Listen, love is God's motive. If Some people might say, come on, what's the catch why is God doing this? Why would an infinite God want to get involved with, with finite man? I'll tell you why. Because of love. It's because of love. It's because of an extravagant love. It's his motive. And generosity is God's method. God loved, so he gave. The point is that love does something. Love acts. And God's generosity became his method to display his love. And salvation is God's mission. For all of us, for all of humanity, so that you would not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is his mission. And here's the part where you and I get involved. You ready for this? The bottom line is simply this. Belief is your mandate. 
Belief. God calls for us to believe. He says, I love you. I give to you. I rescue you. Just believe. Believe is the work of the Christian. Belief is the work of you, my friend, because if we believe, then we'll receive. And what do we receive? Eternal life. Eternal life. And that's why John said, at toward the end of his gospel, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe. And why is that important? That you might believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life comes in Jesus. So here's the deal. Easter is a picture for you and for me. It's a picture of what a loving, generous, saving God truly looks like. Amen? That's what Easter is all about. And along with John, I want to invite you. I want to welcome you. I want to encourage you to truly believe and, and, and even more deeply trust in Jesus. You know, I love fishing stories. Stories about fishing. Just to be clear. <laughs> stories where people are fishing. Um, and one of the reasons why I like them is because they're all full of lies. Because fishermen are liars, right? How does it go? They, yeah, the, you know, the fish was this big, right? So I want to tell you a story, but it's not a lie. I promise. It's a fishing story, but it's not a lie. In fact, I have photos to prove it. Can you put those photos up? This is a fishing story about a little boy with a fishing rod. That's me. 1979. <laughs> it's a great year for fishing. <laughs> So I was a little boy, five years old, and dad would take us four boys fishing. Can you imagine? Four boys in a small aluminum boat. And, you know, we had Zebco. Does anybody know what a Zebco is? A Zebco is like a, a fishing rod with a little clicker button, and you zing it out there, right? So imagine four boys with hooks on the end of their fishing rods all zinging it out there. It's like, how many brothers can you snag on the way out, right? <laughs> My dad spent most of the fishing trip, he spent most of the fishing trips untangling lines, you know, pulling, you know, uh, uh, line off the bottom of the, of the lake, you know, stuck around logs. And, and, you know, so one of these moments, I, I zing my line out there and I have my little bobber on it and it's just sitting out there and I'm bored, I'm five. And I'm kicking the boat, and I'm being told to be quiet, and I'm humming to myself, and I'm being told to be quiet. And, and, you know, Dad's over there trying to fix one of my brother's lines, and all of a sudden, I'm like, Dad, my bobber's moving. And he's like, I'm sure it's fine, son. And I'm like, okay. Dad, my bobber's under the boat. And he's like, oh, okay, hold on just a minute. He comes over to me, and he gets my line, and he pulls on the line to try to pull the bobber back up. And he's like, son, you have a fish. You have a fish. And I was like, I have a fish. I have a fish. I'm five years old. I have a fish. And I'm reeling this fish in. And I'm so excited. And it's a big fish. And my line's going like this. You know, it's just a little Zebco. It's like, and, and I'm, 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 I'm pulling in this fish. It was so amazing. My brothers are coming over. The boat's leaning. And my, my dad gets the net out. And he pulls out this fish. And it was the biggest trout that my five-year-old eyes had ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was so happy. Little boy, big fish, come on, somebody. 
I'm the youngest, and my fish is the biggest. And so dad takes the fish and does what you do to fish to make them stop flopping. And then I took that fish in my hands. I put one hand on his head, one hand on his tail. It's a beautiful rainbow trout. I picked up that fish. It was like one of those Lion King moments. And I just gave that fish the biggest kiss that a five-year-old boy has ever given a fish. I was so happy about that fish. And if you can see the picture up here, you know, that's me with my life preserver on and my Zebco rod. And the other one is me holding up all the fish. And I'm holding them all up and I'm looking down. I'm saying, you can see I'm looking at the bottom one. I'm saying, make sure you get that one in the picture. Because that big one, that big one down there, can you see it? It's a little bit grainy. Actually, the picture's so bad, I gotta tell you, the fish was probably about this long. I said I wasn't going to lie. Let's get that one. Get that one on the bottom. That's my fish. It's my favorite fishing story. I want to tell you another fishing story, and it's even better than that one because it involves Jesus. It doesn't start very good, so stay with me. It's a bit boring at the beginning, but we're going to get there, okay? So this is a fishing story where the disciples are gathering again after the resurrection of Jesus. This is John 21. It's a fishing story, and it's a true fishing story. No lies, I promise. And in this story, you're going to find yourself. I think God's going to speak to you about yourself. Even if you're not into fishing, I think there's something for you in this story that you can relate to. So it's John 21. It's after the resurrection of Jesus, because that's where we are. It's Resurrection Sunday. And in this particular story, I want to just give you a little bit of back context. And that is that Jesus has already started appearing to his disciples. He appeared to Mary. And then to the disciples twice, including Thomas, and showed him his nail scars, showed him his side, it's really me. They couldn't believe it. But Jesus would kind of appear and disappear. You know, they'd like, they'd be there with, uh, in the room locked because, you know, all the doors are locked and they're kind of like huddled around because they were kind of afraid. If they killed Jesus, are they going to kill us next? We're his followers. And so they were gathered in this room and all of a sudden Jesus just shows up, boom, and he's gone. Was he a ghost? Was he really alive? Was it just a hallucination? Was it a, was it a grief-induced hallucination that just took place? Or did we actually see Jesus? And so then we get into the next story. The next time that Jesus shows up with his disciples, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read and ask you to read along with me. It'll be on the screen. It's John 21, verses two and three. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they've gone to Galilee, and they've gone to Galilee for a particular reason, but it wasn't to fish. So far, it's a really boring fishing story. I'm sorry. But trust me, it gets better. But the point is, can I just ponder something with you for a moment? Think about this. Why were they fishing? I mean... Jesus died, rose again, appeared to them, and they go fishing. Why is it that they all went fishing? I mean, Peter leads these guys out, and they all say, sure, let's go for, hey, let's go for a fishing date. Why is it that they did this? Well, I I think that this is actually a very important part of the story. You see, they used to fish at night, and they would use torches, and they'd look for the schools of fish, and then they'd throw their nets. That was very normal. But this is a very interesting time. It was strange time to go fishing. 
Not because it was night, but, but because Jesus was alive. And yet they chose to go fishing. They had seen the empty tomb. They had saw Jesus himself, touched his nail scars, and yet they go fishing. They're actually in Galilee, not to fish, but because an angel told Mary, send them to Galilee, because in Galilee, I'm gonna show, Jesus is gonna show up again. And so they go here, supposed to see Jesus, yet they go fishing, why? Well, I think we can let the other disciples off the hook. They were just following Peter, but why Peter? Why did Peter choose to go fishing? I mean, it seems a little odd, doesn't it? That out of all the things that he could have done while he waits for Jesus to show up, he goes fishing. What was his motivation? I'm gonna give you three options. Let's look at them together. The first one is this. It could have been shame. If Jesus was gonna show up, did he wanna be there? I mean, actually, he had denied Jesus three times, right? After he said he would never do it. I mean, he, he probably didn't want to face Jesus. He was probably feeling a little bit nervous about seeing him. He failed at loving him. He failed at following him. Maybe he just felt ashamed and he didn't really want to encounter Jesus again. Maybe it was pride. Maybe he felt like, you know what, Jesus? You left us. You talked about the kingdom and now you're gone. Now you're showing up. You're, go you're not with us anymore. Fine. I don't need you. We'll figure it out. I'll go catch some fish and I'll take care of the guys. It's on me now. But maybe, just maybe, it was hope. Maybe Peter and the disciples went into the boat together, and Peter was thinking, maybe he'll call me again. Maybe he'll, maybe, just, just maybe he'll forgive me for what I did. I, I, maybe if I go out in the boat again, I'll realize he isn't really through with me. And I know it's a long shot, but maybe the miracle worker can do a miracle again with me. So it could have been any one of those, maybe even a different idea. We'll never know, but I have a feeling it was the combination of all of these things, the pressures of the experience that he had just endured, the pain, the confusion, the loss, and so they went out fishing. And here's what the Bible says. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Can I just apologize? This is the most boring fishing story. I'm sorry. So far we've caught nothing. There's no fish to kiss. We'll see what happens next. Early in the morning, the Bible says, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Maybe it was the dim light. Maybe he disguised himself. We don't know. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Salt in the wound. If you see a fisherman down um, at the um, uh, breakwater and they're fishing, just don't ask. It's frustrating when you're asked, how's the fishing? Shut up, okay, right? Salt in the wound. Jesus says, hey, have you guys caught any fish? Hmm. No, they answered. And then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When I first read that, I thought like, that's funny. Why don't you guys fish the right way? Throw it on the right side, you idiots, right? No, 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 that wasn't it at all. It was, you're throwing on the left, throw it on the right. Now, you might say, oh, well, that would have been a dead giveaway. That's what Jesus did before, Luke chapter 5. 
When he first called Peter, that's what he did. He said, hey, throw your net. And Peter's like, come on, man. I do this for a living. There's no fish. We have a client. No, no, throw it on the other side. And what did he do? He did it. Miraculous catch. Fish everywhere. And he, all of a sudden, you would have thought, man, maybe this is the moment. They're going to catch on. This is Jesus. But you have to understand, very common for those who were fishing to be caught in a place where the sun was rising and there was a glare on the water and you couldn't see. And often they would work in tandem. The boat would go out about 100 yards. Someone would stand on the shore and watch for the fish, the dark spots in the water, and say, there they are, throw it there. So it was a very normal kind of practice for someone from the shore to say, hey, I see some fish. And so what do they do? They throw their nets over there. And what happens? When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then, okay, so here's the pennies dropping now. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, hmm, I have to pause there for just a moment. John is the writer. <laughs> it's cute. He calls himself the person, the one that Jesus loves. Like, you guys are good. I'm the one he loves, right? I, can I tell you a secret? I tell all my children they're my favorite. I just don't do it when they're together. Right? So John, John says, I'm the one Jesus loved. There's a point here that I have to make. We're really looking at two characters. We're looking at John, who's the writer, and we're looking at Peter, who's the subject of the story, really. And there's a difference about the way these two view their relationship to Jesus. And it's really something that's important for us as followers of Christ, those of you that are here today that are just leaning in to listen, let me explain something to you. You can come to Jesus in two different ways. You can come like Peter, who says, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll do for you what no one else will do. Even if everybody falls away, I'm going to stand for you. And you know what the result of that was? Peter denied Jesus three times and ended up feeling like a failure. Why? Because he based it on his effort. Or you can be the one that Jesus loves. You can understand your identity as the one Jesus loves. And as a result, you come into a place where you say, Jesus, it's not about what I do. It's about what you have done. I know that I'm loved. And you know what? When you know that you're loved, think about John. John was the only disciple that followed Jesus all the way through. He was the only disciple that stood at the cross. Why? Because he knew Jesus loved him. He didn't have anything to prove. He just received the love of Jesus. That's why he calls himself the one that Jesus loved. Can I tell you, truly, honestly, you are the one that Jesus loves. Just come to him. Just come to him. Because he loves you. It's not about your effort. It's about his love for you. So Peter, still trying to figure it out. And here we go. So they had this incredible number of fish, verse 7, and the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, this is a great part of the story, too. This is, this is actually becoming a fun fishing story, isn't it? At this point, it says, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Does anybody else find that weird? <laughs> that you get dressed to go swimming. Oh, it's Jesus? Let me put my clothes on. Splash. 
The thing is, the reason why he did that is because it would have been improper for him to meet the rabbi without his robe on, and he had taken it off because he didn't want to get it wet. Oh, well, it's wet now. And so he goes to Jesus. I love this picture. All of the sudden, it makes sense. Is it possible that my shame and my pride is actually swallowed up in hope because it's truly Jesus, and he's here again, and he's calling to me? Is it possible? And Peter, all of a sudden, flashes back to that original calling where there was this great catch of fish, and what did he do? He said, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Go away from me. And, and, and Jesus looked at him and said, listen, Peter, I've got a plan for your life. Put away your nets. Fish for people. I'm going to teach you how to be the greatest evangelist of the early church. I'm going to teach you how to share my message. I'm going to walk. I've got a calling on your life. And all of a sudden, all of that came rushing back to Peter. You see, here's a truth for you to hold on to today. The love of Jesus gives you a greater purpose in life. Hey, you can live your life for all kinds of things, but when you live your life for Jesus, you have a greater purpose. There's something greater going on. And Pastor Laura loves this particular verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1. She quotes it all the time. It's a life verse for her, and it says this, He has saved us and called us. You know, you didn't just get, you're just not here today to make things right with Jesus. You're not just here today to be saved. You're not just living for Jesus to be saved. There's a calling on your life. There's a purpose for you. God has something in store for you. He wants to use you and give you greater significance. And it's not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. His grace. See, I'm going to take you now a little bit deeper into the story because it, it, it gets a little more, um, it, it just gets a little more redemptive. Right now it's great. Peter's feeling it. He's running to Jesus. Let's pick the story back up again. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. In the first story, Peter's initial calling, the net was torn. This time the net's not torn. But there's 153 fish. Who counted them? <laughs> Like, it's interesting. John does this a lot, though. He puts specific things in place that the other writers of the Gospels didn't put there. Just to give you a little more detail, he was always beautifully writing in the deeper meaning of things. So what's the deal with 153 fish? Well, we had this wonderful experience as a church family. We've gone on trips to the Holy Land. We're just about to go to Turkey and Greece uh, to do the footsteps of Paul in just a, just a month or so. And you're welcome to come. We've got a couple of spots left, not a lot of room. You can come if you want. Um, you should. It's going to be fun. But we went, we went to Israel, and I remember standing on the shore in the place that they believe where this miraculous catch took place. And... Our guide was telling us the story, and he brought a little bit of a deeper meaning in why John wrote the 153. And he said, you know, every 
um, in, the, in the Hebraic alphabet, every word has a numerical value. And if you take the 153 and you translate it from its numeric value to its alphabet, it literally makes a most, the most amazing word, and it's simply this. It says, 153, when you change it back into the alphabet, is I am God. And so even in the miraculous catch, Jesus is saying, listen, you're not, you're not wrong in putting your faith and your trust and your focus on me. You are right. And the 153 proves it. One theologian that I read spoke about this 153 and said, did you know that at the time of the ancient world, there was an accounting that was done of how many different species of fish there were in the Sea of Galilee, and there was 153. And so why was there 153 in the net? To make a picture of the church that Jesus was building that is big enough to hold everybody. It's big enough for you. It's big enough for me. Why? Because the love of Jesus is personal and includes us all. Amen? There's a place for you in the church. The net was never broken. You belong here. And so I can say with great confidence, Jesus loves you. He loves you and he's thinking of you. And you're not missed in all of this. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, it gets really personal here, guys. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Can you imagine hanging out with all of your friends and all of a sudden Jesus looks and says, we've got business to deal with. There's a brokenness between you and me and we need to fix it. And so he looks at Simon Peter and says, do you love me? This word that he uses for love is agape, which means sacrificial love. And in that moment he was saying, are you willing to sacrifice for me? That would have been very, very pointed. It would have silenced any conversation Maybe the crackling of the fire continued, but this tension hung in the air. Not only did Jesus say, are you willing to sacrifice for me? He said, are you willing to sacrifice for me? Do you love me more than these? And some might say, well, maybe these meant the disciples, you know, these other guys. But Jesus was not about comparison. In my opinion, what he was saying is, you see this boat? You see that net? You see all that catch of fish? Do you love me more than what it is that you're currently returning to? Do you love me more than what you perceive as your way forward? Do you love me more than what you see as a pathway to success? And doesn't that challenge fall to each of us? Don't we all feel that? Where, hey, there's a way to go, man, and you can live your life and you can pursue your dreams, but at some point, Jesus might be saying, I've got something for you that's different. I've got something for you that's better. I've got a calling on your life, and will you choose to love me more than these? Maybe that's the challenge you're facing. Maybe that's the reality of your life. And Jesus says, listen, I want to know, do you love me more than these? Peter responds, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. In other words, you're looking at the boat, you're looking at the fish, you're looking at the net. I didn't call you to be a fisherman. I called you to be a fisher of men. Feed my lambs. Story goes on, and Jesus says it again. He, again, he says to he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? His same word, agape. He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
And then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time it's a different word. Instead of agape, instead of sacrifice, he says, he says phileo, which is a friendship love. Like it's the kind of love that you have for your best friend. And he's saying to him, listen, Peter, are you my friend? Imagine what Peter would have been reflecting on. Like, did you treat me like a friend, Peter? Do you love me? Are you loyal to me? I, I know you betrayed me, but this is an important confrontation. Are you my friend? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you phileo? Do you love me like a friend? Do you have a friendship love for me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know all things. You know what I did. You know where I've been. You know the journey that I've been on. You, you know why I went fishing. You know why I betrayed you. You know all things. And he said, and you know that I love you. I really do love you. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. You see, three times Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus gives him the opportunity to recant the denial and to express his love. You see, Peter didn't want this confrontation, but oh, how he needed it. And for every one of us today, we may not want to even be here. We may not want to be confronted with the reality of Jesus, but I want you to know you need it. And he loves you and he's asking you, will you love him in return? Feel the tension of that. It's real. Why? Because Jesus loves us enough to confront us. He loves us enough to call us out. Because the truth is, is that the love of Jesus turns past failures into future hopes. He has a plan for you and for your life. And he loves you. So the last thing that Jesus says to him in this little passage is he says, Follow me. And that's exactly what Peter did. Once he felt the restoration of his relationship to Jesus, once he felt that bond again, it's exactly what he did. You know, he never looked back. He never went back to his boats or his nets or the fish. He just preached. And what did he preach? He preached the love of Jesus to everyone. Come on, everybody. And when he preached, thousands of people would get saved. Why? Because that's what he was called to do. And God had called him. And now that's a great fishing story. And so what is it that God wants to say to us? Great, you know, great passage of scripture. What is it that God wants to say to us? You know, the truth is, I didn't want to preach on Peter catching fish today, but God spoke to me in like February. Whatever you have planned, it's Peter. Preach Peter going back to fishing. And I said, why? Why? Why do you want me to preach on that? And I felt like the Lord dropped this into my heart because people need to hear this. It's okay to go back. Just go back to the right things. You see, I don't like going back. I don't want to talk about COVID. I don't want to go back to any of that. But can, can I just for a moment share my experience? Well, I asked, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, sorry. 
stupid question. Um, so I, Lisa and I really felt like during COVID, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go hard, we're gonna trust. You know, if you were watching online, you would have seen me smiling and saying it's okay, and we're gonna be good, and God's got us, and vision, and future. And then we started back, and everybody's, you know, not everybody, people started coming back. And it was at that point that I thought to myself, oh no, they believed me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it, honestly, it was at that time I felt like, I don't wanna do this. I don't think I have the gas in the tank. Like we pushed hard during COVID to, and, and prayed hard and believed hard and it was hard on the team and we had to let staff go and hire them back and had to work through our feelings and we were in construction. And Anyway, I'm just being honest with you for a minute. I felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to share with you. And so I, I didn't know what to do because all of a sudden church was happening again and I wasn't happy about it. I was tired. And I'm a part of this wonderful network. We are a part of the ark, which plants churches. And one of the church planters called me and he was excited. Hey, during COVID, we finished our building. We're going to do our grand opening. Would you come and would you just pray over us? And if the Lord gives you a word, prophesy and, and just bless our church. And so I went along with some of the other lead teams from uh, team members from Art Canada. And I get into this room and it's a beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful little building that they have renovated and they're having their celebration. There's so much happiness and joy on the stage and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me in that room as I was looking around and I was in the midst of a celebration, but there was no celebration in me. And I, I just said, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I don't know how to go back and, and rebuild. And it was, like, it was like courage just descended on me as a gift from God. Like, it just descended. And in that moment, I heard the Lord say, Andy, you have another fight in you. And it was like something just came up inside of me. And it was like, yes, I do. And so I stood on the stage that day praying for my friend, Corey, just blessing him and blessing his church. And I said, Corey, I just have to stop because you called me here to bless you, but I needed this because God put a fight back inside of me. <laughs> and I think the reason why the Lord wanted me to bring this message is because I think there's people in the room and God's saying, it's time to stop fishing. You've been out fishing and God's calling you. Jesus is calling you back to shore. He's calling you back to your purpose. He's calling you back to what he's always had in mind for you. And so for some of you, you just need to hear this. It's okay to go back, but just go back to the right things. Maybe you feel like you failed God. Just go back to his love and forgiveness. Maybe you, you, you've stopped using your gifts and you've put them on the shelf. Listen, go back to what God called you to. Maybe you've stopped coming to church. It's hard to get here. It's difficult. You can just, you know, do other things. Go back to the spiritual family. God's calling you back because you've got another fight in you. And Jesus needs that fight. He's calling you.
He's calling you back. Step out. I think there's others here. And for you, it's just this understanding of what the Easter story is actually all about. It's God's love extended to you. And you have never practically responded to that love. And today is your day. This is your moment. It's time to respond to God's love by accepting Jesus. Remember that verse that we started with? That picture? It's like the 153. You know those fish? God has a place for you in his family. And he's calling to you. And you need to respond to him today. Not tomorrow. This is the moment. Right now, on Easter Sunday in 2023, love is God's motive, and he's reaching to you. Generosity is God's method, and he has given you his very best gift. Salvation is God's mission, and you are only one decision away from a completely different life. So God calls you to believe and be saved. Let's pray together. Would you mind bowing your head with me for just a moment in this room full of people and praying with me? I I just appreciate so much how well you've listened today and thank you for your time. Thank you for coming and being a part of this Easter celebration. But it really does come down to moments of decision in our own lives. For some of you here today, it's time to give your life to Christ. Hear me, you're not here by accident. Hear me, this is the moment where Jesus is coming to you and he's inviting you into a future that includes eternal life. Respond to him in faith. If you're here today and you say, how do I do that? I'll say, listen, I wanna help you. I wanna make it practical. I want you to feel like you've done something today that says, this is my yes to Jesus And so if you're here today and you say, I I don't have a living relationship with Jesus. I've never bowed my knee to his lordship. I've never given my life to him. I've never exercised belief toward him. And today you want to do that. I'm going to ask you as this room is quiet, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you please lift your hand that I might pray for you? This is your moment to acknowledge, yes. I am receiving Jesus. Thank you for that hand and that hand and this hand here and that one at the back and this one over here, down front, down front, this one here, this one here on the aisle, this over here on my right, this one, this one, this one, this one. Yes, lift those hands high. Thank you and you and you and you and you. Come on, who else wants to join them? Yes, this is my moment. Yes, yes, I'm seeing hands everywhere as people are saying yes to Jesus. So in Jesus' name, we pray that resurrection life would flood these souls responding to your goodness right now. Fill them, oh God. May this be a moment of transformation in their hearts. And Jesus, they're coming to you, so embrace them with your love. Cover them with your grace and receive their uplifted hand as saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you can put your hands down. Stay with me for just one more moment as we pray. The Lord's doing a wonderful work in this place right now. I wonder if there's somebody here today that just says, man, I gotta, I gotta go back to what Jesus has called me to. I've been far from his purpose, far from his plan, and today I'm coming back to Jesus.
I'm coming back to his love. I'm saying yes to the fact that there's a new fight in me today for this season, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to trust. And God, you're going to use my life again because he's not finished with you. Maybe you've been suffering with despair and discouragement. You felt disconnected and hopeless. You felt sad and broken. You felt lost for years, but God's calling you back now. Respond, respond to his love, respond to his grace. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those who even right now are just feeling you drawing them back to you. Lord, I thank you for those that are saying, I'm done fishing. And I'm going on to the purpose of God in my life. I'm coming back, but I'm going back to the right things. And so in Jesus' name, just flood this place, Lord, with your presence and with your grace and with your love. As you pour out your joy and your goodness over us, as we return with great expectation to you and to your calling upon our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody in this house said... Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.